to your seats. There's a card in front of you that says connect with us. And uh, if you are a regular attender, a member, or a visitor, this would be a great way to connect with us this morning. There's a spot on the back where you can put your information. If you would like to be a part of our email list and are not already, just add your email to that. Uh, otherwise, you can leave a prayer request. We send those out every Monday to our elders to pray for the needs of this church. So please do not hesitate to write down things that we can be praying for. If you want to communicate about something, if you want to serve on one of our teams, that is also where you can do that. So those cards are right in front of you. Uh, if you fill that out, you can walk it to the back after the service is over or during communion. There's a box right outside these double doors that says Connect Give on it, and you can drop that off there, as well as any offering that you came prepared to give today as well. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis 12, verses 1 through 9. I realized that the front of our bulletin says Genesis 1 through 11, and that was the original intent of our series to end it at verse, or chapter 11. I'm going just one week into chapter 12, and there's really a couple of reasons for that. It just felt wrong to end with the Tower of Babel when the very next chapter we see God's blueprint of redemption given in this call to Abram, this person just hanging out and not knowing the Lord, and yet he gets this call from him. And I wanted to talk about that as a fitting ending to our series in Genesis. I also wanted to talk about it because today we are ordaining and commissioning a deacon team in the second service. You're going to see them. They're going to come up at the end of the service today in this first service, and you can um, see who this team is if you haven't seen them already. They were just uh, elected last week at our congregational meeting. And uh, so you'll see them, but in the second service, we're going to have a service of ordaining and commissioning them at the end of that service. And wanted to preach about what it means to be a blessing to others, which I anticipate this team being in our midst and so excited for the leaders that God has raised up here. And so with those two things in mind, let's read the call of Abraham, Genesis 12, starting in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. 
And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. This is the word of the Lord. So I struggle with uh, insomnia quite a bit, and uh, especially recently have had trouble sleeping. And so I was working really late uh, at night uh, last week and working on my computer, doing some things. It was like the early hours of the morning. And uh, all of a sudden, the, the screen of the computer scrambled and went multicolored and then uh, went black. And there was a series of images that appeared on it that I'd never seen before. And my heart began to race. I've been working on something, right? And uh, it, was, it was gone there for a second. And then finally, the screen came back on and a little error message appeared. And it said, your computer has shut down because of a problem. (laughs) Literally said, a problem happened. And, you know, I felt worried, but I also felt a little indignant. You know, um, a problem, like that's what you're going to give me. You've just like made me feel like all this stuff is going to be destroyed that I've been working on, and you're just attributing it to a problem. Touch any key to restart your computer. So I tentatively touched a key and it did restart. And then when the screen came back on again, it said, "Um, would you like to find out more about what happened here? Details. That was a little, another little message box popped up. Would you like to find out more and file a report or ignore? What do you think I did? I clicked ignore. And I kept working. Because it's easier to take that solution. Even though I was indignant just a few minutes before, a problem. How can you tell me it's just a problem? But then when I had the opportunity to go down that path, I just chose to ignore it rather than take the longer slower process that might actually address any underlying problems. Now, I know I'm not the only one who does that. I just know it. Um, I know that I'm not the only one who uses things and wants the quick fix. And so we ignore problems, and maybe it's not with your computer, and maybe you are the type to keep that all nice and tidy and all your files in order. But in other areas, in in your marriage, or in uh, the bills that are coming in, or in your health or your weight or whatever it may be, you maybe want to click the ignore button on whatever problems are there. That is a human impulse after the fall. What's amazing is that God is not like that. We see here in this chapter that of all the complex things, a computer is a complex thing, and I wouldn't know the first thing about how to fix that problem. But what we have had repeatedly in this series, we have seen God create good things and set things up well. And then human um, sin has destroyed things and has taken it all the way to the worst possible conclusions, all the way to the Tower of Babel. And it seems like this problem is just going to continue. God's going to save some people like Adam and Noah, and then he's going to maybe uh, allow evil to grow on the earth, and then he's going to 
judge it. And there's this pattern that's going on. But what happens in chapter 12 is that God begins something different. Something the same, and yet something different. And in that thing that He starts, what He does is He begins to address the long, slow problem of a rebellious world. He doesn't click ignore. He takes this pagan who has no idea who he is and he calls him by his grace and he blesses him and he blesses his family and he blesses the extended family and then he blesses the tribes and then he blesses a nation and then he blesses the world and it all starts in this chapter a new chapter of the story of God. Not a new plan. This is what God has always wanted. To have the earth filled with His glory. With image bearers who look like Him. Who give Him honor and praise. And yet now there is something different. There's, something, there's a change that's happening here. And it comes because He comes to an individual Abram and He calls him out. And he blesses him. And we see for the first time some language that actually reminds us of the New Testament. It reminds us of Jesus. Because God tells him to follow him. To leave father and mother. And to go after him to the land that he will show him. And here we see the mission of God begin to crystallize into the calling to an individual, then to a family, then to a nation, and then to God's world. The scholar William J. Dumbrell says that Genesis 12 is the theological blueprint for the redemptive history of the world. This is the blueprint. It is what God is doing in this world. What is that blueprint? Let's talk about that today. God's blueprint of redemption. He blesses us so that we will be a blessing to His world. That is, in a nutshell, what God is going to do with the rest of the Scriptures and the rest of human history. If we're going to talk about it in the most concise way, He blesses us so that, that's a causal phrase there, so that we will be a blessing to His world. I want us to look at those two things today. First, we are called to be blessed. And secondly, we are called to be a blessing. We are called to be blessed. Who is blessed? First here, it is Abram. Look at verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you why was Abram blessed by God was it because he was already righteous did God choose him because he already had some kind of merit that is not the case he is from Ur of the Chaldees Chaldeans he is a pagan we think of Abraham as, as this godly guy leaning on a staff, just talking to the Lord. And he becomes that. But we have to picture him first here in this urban setting from which he's from. When he's walking down the street, there's a ziggurat. We talked about that last week in the Tower of Babel. There's a ziggurat in this place. And it's a tall tower, this pagan uh, 
temple to the gods. At the top of the hill of Ur was the temple of Nana, which is the moon god. There was the palace of Unanamu. There were the temples of Ningal and Inki. This place was an urban place with lots of temples to lots of gods. And Abram hears the voice of Yahweh by grace. He hears a call in his life and he responds with obedience. And he is not righteous, but he is made righteous by grace through faith. And this faith that God gives him is strong enough for him to go on this mission to leave everything that he has known. Your kindred, your father's house, your country, your kindred and your father's house, your place, your extended family, your family of origin, your nuclear family, this is what he leaves. Reminding us again of Jesus Christ who says that the Gospel will call those out and will put set mother against daughter and sons against fathers. And this happens when we follow Jesus at times. And what Abram becomes is the father of all who believe. As Romans 4 tells us, a new family. He leaves that family and he becomes the father of a new family. A family of faith that spreads out from this point to the ends of the earth. What is the blessing that Abram receives? He receives a number of things. He receives first a place, a future place. Look at verse 1, that you, I will show you a land that I will show you. This is the first promise of the promised land. It is not the promised land, the land of promises. It is the promised land. It is the land that is promised right here. It's promised to Abram, a future land. And for Abram, this will remain a future reality. You know, it's interesting, we sometimes think that uh, the people in the Old Testament probably had a better experience of God, a more tangible experience of faith than we do. Maybe they saw more miracles. Maybe they saw God at work in some kind of tangible way. And we sometimes think, I wish I could have been there and my faith would be stronger. But here's the thing. This land that God promises, none of the patriarchs, none of the founding fathers of our faith ever saw. It was only an idea that Abram had to believe by faith. So in other words, Abram saw the promised land in exactly the same way that we understand the new heavens and the new earth. He had to hear that promise from God and he had to believe in that future reality. He didn't know how it would look. But God did show him what land that would be. This land of Canaan. Why Canaan? This place was strategic. It is the crossroads of Asia Minor and Asia and Africa. This little bit of turf in the Middle East. Michael Williams, one of my professors in, college, in seminary, said it is the most traveled, most disputed, most fought over, and most conquered land in the history of the world because of its strategic location. And it was promised. A place is promised for you. A place is promised for us. We are the children of Abraham and God's children as well. And there is a new heavens and a new earth that we believe in by faith. There was a place. There was a people. Verse 2, 
I will make of you a great nation. Verse 7, Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. He says these descendants are going to be too great to number. This great family will become a great nation and it will spread over the whole world. This is fulfilled for us in Christ. As we're told in the New Testament that, that God promises here that there's going to be a seed or an offspring. And Paul in Galatians chapter 3 says he uses the singular there on purpose. He doesn't say seeds, referring to many here. So it's the seed because it refers to Christ. In Christ, there will be a new people that is gathered. He gives them a place. He gives them a people. He gives them position. Verse 2 again, I will bless you and make your name great. He gives him what the people of Tower, the Tower of Babel just one chapter before always wanted and could not achieve, which was to make a name for themselves. And here, Jesus, uh, God says to Abram, you will be the most important biblical figure except for Jesus. And that is true. From this point on into the New Testament, Abraham is the most talked about person. And he is the most famous. And people identify as his children millennia later and make his name great. And I say apart from Jesus because now our primary identity is not that we are children of Abraham, even though in a sense we are. We've been grafted into the story. But now... We are children of God, and we bear the name not of Abraham, but of Christ. He's given a place, a people, a position, and finally, a promise. In verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The promise is that he will be blessed, and that in him, the whole earth will be blessed. It receives a partial fulfillment in Abram's, Abram's life. We see as the story moves forward, he interacts with Abimelech and Melchizedek and others that are blessed because of him. And others who are cursed because of him. Those who try to take Sarai as their wife or Hagar who is going to despise Sarah and she gets cut off and so there's a partial fulfillment there's blessings and curses that come within actual family but now fully if we look at Galatians 3 if you belong to Christ then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise in him blessing has come to the whole earth through Jesus Christ let me just read for us the beginning of the book of Ephesians, which tells us exactly how we have been brought into this and are blessed because of this promise. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, 
according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on the earth. In Christ, this promise has been fulfilled. Every spiritual blessing has come to us who are in Christ. We are now in Him and we are blessed. You see, Abram didn't know the content of this blessing or how it would be revealed. Not fully. He only had a little bit. And those who came after Him had a little bit more. But now we have so much of the content of this blessing. It is ultimately fulfilled in Christ. And when we follow God, we are blessed in more rich ways than even Abram was because of the fullness of the Gospel. The good news. We've been grafted into this story. And we are blessed. There's a second thing. Why does God bless us? We are called to be blessed for the purpose of being a blessing. The reason that God calls Abram is for his love and his blessing and he wants Abram to be blessed. And He loves Abram. But it's also God not clicking the ignore button. He is going to use Abram to be a blessing to the world. And starting here, there is a call on God's people not just to be blessed, but to be a blessing. We see that in verse 2. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Maybe your translation doesn't have that so that there, but it is clear that that is a causal phrase, that that is linked together, that this is the reason why God blesses. And what we have with our first interaction here with Abram is a model of an engagement with the world that pleases God. There's a lot of debate about that. What is the right model for Christians to engage with God's world? How do we live as Christians in the world? Many books have been written about this, and it is a complicated subject on one level, but on another level, it is very simple. Because here at the beginning, God gives this blueprint of Redemption. And what Abram ultimately was in the land that God showed him was an engaged pilgrim. He keeps journeying on. He keeps moving on. He doesn't fully become part of Canaan. Even at the end of the passage, and Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. There's going to be a little bit of distance there, but he is not completely distant from the Canaanites. As we think about how Christians should be in the world. 
Some of us emphasize the engaged part and some of us emphasize the pilgrim part. Some of us think that the best strategy for Christians in the world is to be engaged, to be part of the arts, to be part of the culture, to involve ourselves as much as possible with everything that is going on in the world. Others say, no, we shouldn't do that. We should separate more. We should be away from those things and, so that we don't compromise our identity. And while each of those impulses is understandable in its own way, each of them by themselves is not what we are called to. We are called to be like Abram. How did Abram do this? Three ways that he was an engaged pilgrim. Obedience, worship, and faithful presence. First, obedience. The most striking thing about Abram that we see from the beginning is that he obeys God. He leaves his kindred and his father's house despite not knowing how the pieces fit in. And while this passage is ultimately about what God's going to do, we see it over and over again, I will, I will do this, I will make your name great, I will bless you, I will, I will. For Abraham, the response is simple obedience. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother, and they left. They left according to God's command. He did the thing that was hard in obedience. Obedience, when we follow God, even if it's into uncertain places, is actually one of the ways that we bless the world. As they see this model of obedience, that, that we can do hard things, that we can say unpopular things, that we can hold positions that are not held by everyone, even when they're hard or unpopular, that is part of the way that God uses us to bless the world. But He also uses worship. We see what Abram does in each of the places where he goes as he sets up altars. Verse 6, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land, and the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Later, verse 8, there he built an altar to the Lord. He goes through Shechem, which is like in the middle of the land of Canaan, and he passes to the Oak of Moray, where many scholars think is one of the places where soothsayers, pagan people, would gather to interpret the rustling of the leaves and to hear signs from the gods. And he goes to that place and he builds an altar. And then he goes to Bethel. That word just means house of God. Beit El, house of God. Don't know if it was called that then or if it was called that by Moses here, knowing that it would be called that later. But either way, the house of God that was there is not the house of Yahweh. It's a house of different gods. And there he sets up an altar. In each place that he moves, he brings the worship of God and he leaves nothing of his own presence. He leaves only a testimony of God's dominion in that place. He didn't say, this land is my land. This is the place. He didn't come in there saying, I'm going to own this all one day. He just worshipped. This is God's. We bless the world when we punctuate the darkness around us with faithful worship. Leaving up testimonies of God's goodness in the world wherever we go. 
offering it to God. That's really the pilgrim side of that. The journeying through. He's obedient and he's worshipful. Okay? But he was also a faithful presence. We're told in verse 6 that the Canaanites are there with him. And when we look at this story as it unfolds, we see that Abram is not only living there and avoiding the Canaanites, he's actually doing business with them. And he actually buys land for them. And he buries his dead with them. And he is there. And they prosper. He becomes very wealthy. He trades with them. He blesses them. And the Canaanites become better off because God sent Abram to be amongst them. In exactly the same way later in the way that the story is going to unfold, God tells the Israelites to be a blessing in Babylon when they have to leave that land of promise and they have to go into exile into the land of Babylon. What does God tell them when they're away from the place? He's, he doesn't say, hold on, I'll rescue you in 70 years. Do the best you can. Make sure that you don't become Babylonian in any way possible. Which is sometimes the way that we think that we're supposed to be engaged with the world. Sometimes we think all that we're really doing in living here is rearranging furniture on the deck of the Titanic. It's this pointless thing. Whatever our jobs might be or whatever engagement we might have, it's ultimately pointless because this ship is going down and God's going to rescue us. That's not what God tells us in the Scriptures. He says you are blessed so that you will be a blessing. And while the people were in Babylon, He told them not to just hold on, but He told them to get married, to plant gardens, to flourish the city because in their welfare, you will find your welfare. And Abram does the same thing beginning here. He lives amongst the Canaanites. He is engaged. And so we see God's missionary heart. He doesn't click ignore. He engages. And He sends us to be His people. We are blessed so that we will be a blessing. And this is, isn't this exactly what Jesus tells us we should be about with the first and second great commandments. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You are blessed. Second, love your neighbor as yourself. Be a blessing. The two things are distinguished from one another, but they should never be separated. James tells us that you can't say that you love God and hate your brother. You can't say that. The two things are tied together. But unless you know that you are loved by God, you will also not be able to love them, the other people. You can't love your neighbor unless you know that you are loved by God. That's the first commandment. And so the two things must always be together and be distinguished. Recognize that you are blessed. But also, always ask how you can be a blessing. As we close today, I just want to encourage us to do those two things. You must first know that you are blessed. There is only one way to receive every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. The Scriptures tells us it is through Christ. It is through us responding to the call of God like Abram, leave and follow Me.
Jesus says the same thing to us. Leave whatever way of life is outside of me and follow me. Give up whatever you're holding on to and follow after Christ with your whole life and you will be blessed. When you are blessed, you are also put on a mission. And we are called to do exactly what God does here. He doesn't click ignore for the problems that are arising. He engages. And He brings the blessing of God wherever He goes. My friend uh, Jim Mullins, he's the pastor at Redemption uh, Tempe here a few miles away from here. He has a great game. If you've gone through surge school with us before, that's a training that we do. He's got a game called the Carrot Cake Game. And it's a great way to apply this to us. What he does in the Carrot Cake Game, there's an origin story there of the name, but I can't get into it right now. He's got two stacks of cards. And on stack one, you write your blessings. Everything that God has given you. Every skill that you have. Every family connection. Every person you know that's powerful. Every bit of your bank account. And you write down all your blessings. And in the second stack, you write down everything that you see that is broken in the world that particularly God has drawn your heart to. Brokenness in your family. Brokenness in your neighborhood. Brokenness in this church. Brokenness in this city. And then you mix up the cards in their own stacks And you draw out one blessing. And you draw out one curse, we might say. And you ask yourself, how does that one blessing, how could it possibly, using my imagination, bring some kind of blessing to this situation? How does the fact that I grew up in a stable home could be one of your blessings? Maybe it's not one of yours. Maybe you play guitar. Maybe you have a big bank account. It could be anything, but how does that one thing maybe address this? Maybe it does and maybe it doesn't, but the creativity that comes from you seeing I have been given so much and I'm called now to bless those who are around me. We can't do this without taking an inventory, without washing ourselves in Ephesians chapter 1 and seeing every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places has been given to us. Take inventory of what God has given to you. Are you gifted at something? Do you have a big house? Do you have a bank account? Are you a good trainer? Are you a good listener? Take everything that God has given you and think, How has this blessing been given to me so that I can be a blessing to His world? That is the blueprint of God's redemption. Those two things can never be separated. We can never get to the place where we say, all I do is serve. We've forgotten our identity. But we cannot get to the place where we're so focused on our identity, I am blessed, I can have all the good things, that we forget our mission either. They're both part of God's redemption plan. He blesses us so that we can be a blessing. Let's pray. Father, we know that even this week we have been 
tempted to ignore hurt people, hard situations, tough feedback, things we don't want to think about. I pray that we would be so filled with the gospel this morning that we are given a place, that we can be part of a people, that we have a position, that we have your promise. We are children of Abraham and more than that, children of you, heirs according to the promise that that privilege and blessing would be so real to us that it would spill over. That we would give our lives away. It doesn't have to be dramatic, Lord. I pray that you would give us the small thing, the one thing we can do for those who are around us so that we can follow your plan, your blueprint of redemption. We want to follow you as Abram did. And we know that we can only do so in Christ. So strengthen us towards that in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand with us?